When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my beautiful nerds. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm Liv, your myth teller who still can't quite believe there are all these people in the world that want to hear me talking about this topic I'm just so freakishly devoted to. So, you know, thank you. Love you. And on a similar note, as if you all haven't become fully aware of how much I love the Odyssey, oh man, you guys were back in the Odyssey. Things are about to get good. 
But before we get into it, I thought I'd mention something that I only vaguely commented on in the first episode of this series on the Odyssey. The name Ulysses is the Latin or Roman version of Odysseus. It's perhaps a bit more of a famous name than Odysseus, as is the way with those Romans. And so many of you may know this name, whether from a story about his wanderings or from James Joyce's novel, which is a retelling of the Odyssey and entitled Ulysses. So yeah, that's really it. They're the same guy, but I call him Odysseus because one, it's more accurate, I'm a purist, and two, I knew someone named Ulysses in high school and just feels weirder. And three, Odysseus is just a way, way better sounding name. So, where we last left my main man Odysseus, he's arrived on the land of the Phaeacians, where they've taken him in, though they still have not been told who he is. For all they know, he's a fisherman who is shipwrecked and has been trying to get home all this time. The king of the Phaeacians, Alcinous, has had some hints Odysseus has this habit of crying every time someone references the very famous Trojan War that's been over for about eight years now, and has only gotten more famous in that time. Plus, he cries extra hard when someone tells a story about famous, cunning Odysseus during the war. So, you know, he's not hiding it super well. Regardless, they don't know explicitly yet that he is Odysseus, but they've all pulled up a chair because this man is about to tell them who he is and what he's gone through to get there. This is episode 49, Poe Buddies Nerfect, Odysseus and Polyphemus, The Odyssey, Part 3. Sing muses of all the batshit monsters Odysseus has encountered and is about to regale us with. The poet of Phaeacia sings to the guests gathered at the feast about the actions of Odysseus during the Trojan War and, specifically, how he helped the Greeks succeed in finally, heroically, in their opinion, defeating the Trojans in what is now the most famous war ever fought by the Greeks. Meanwhile, Odysseus, who they do not know is Odysseus, is supremely emotional. And I mean, who wouldn't be? The man has seen some shit. He went to a war he had no desire to go to, you'll remember all Odysseus wanted was to stay home with his wife he actually loves, and his new baby. But when Agamemnon comes a-callin', the Greeks had to answer. And what they, and Odysseus specifically, ended up with is a ten-year war that meant nothing and went nowhere, and then after, then after he spends years and years and years just trying to get home, knowing all his shipmates have died but probably every other Greek has returned home by now and just gets to live their life. Odysseus has had a tough fucking go of it, and here he is now finally within reach of a means of getting home, and everyone just wants to talk about that damn war again. And add to that, they just want to praise him when all he knows is he hasn't gotten home yet. Guys, Odysseus has flaws, don't get me wrong, but he is truly one of my favorite characters, and I would say one of the most complex in Greek mythology. I mean, he's basically the only one with an entire epic poem devoted to him, so that's probably why, but I stand by that analysis. Odysseus, poor Odysseus, is really feeling some things, and King Alcinous notices and asks the poet to stop his singing about the war. It's time they finally press this stranger in their halls, on who he is and how he got there. Tell us about your wanderings. Where did you go? Alcinous asks. Who did you meet along the way? And why are you so affected by these stories of Troy? Why have you been crying? 
Did you lose a loved one at Troy? At these questions by Alcinous, Odysseus stops and thinks for a moment. How much to tell? How much of this tragic story is he willing to delve into right now? Well, he's a hero, and heroes have egos, so a lot of it. Before he speaks this time, the epithets used to describe him in Emily Wilson's translation are wily and lord of lies, which are intriguing. So how much of what Odysseus is about to tell us are we meant to believe? I am Odysseus, Odysseus finally tells the people gathered in Phaeacia. I am Odysseus, the son of Laertes, who makes his home in Ithaca. As I've already told you, he continues, the nymph Calypso kept me in her cave on her island for many years. She wanted to marry me. The same is true for Circe, though, he tells the listeners, neither could convince me. All I wanted, all anyone wants in such a situation, was my own home. Now I just want to pause at the mention of her, Circe, to tell you that technically, Circe should be pronounced Kirke, since C's were always hard. But I won't do that because I pronounce lots of C's soft because I'm English, plus we all know her as Circe and I won't confuse you in that way, not after so, so many of you have read and loved Madeline Miller's book. But more on that later. Back to it. Let me start at the beginning. Our newly revealed Odysseus tells the people at the feast, Let me tell you all the bullshit Zeus put me through, he says, though I'm paraphrasing just a hint. First, Zeus pushed us off course and we landed on the island of the Kikones. There, Odysseus tells them, they sacked the town, killed the men, and took the women. Translation, raped the women. Odysseus is not always my main man, friends. But then the rest of the Kikones came in to help, and he tells them, our men were also killed before we finally got to our ships and managed to get away. He then notes that their men were slaughtered by the Kikonis, but, like, Odysseus and his men really started it? Unreliable narrator right here. Next, more bad winds and storms, and eventually, Odysseus and his men land on the island of the Lotus Eaters. Now, it's a bit too much for me to continue telling Odysseus' story as though he is telling it to Alcinous and the ones gathered, so from here, you'll need to just remember that. Remember that this is Odysseus' version of his story. We're not actually following him as he's experiencing it. We're being told about it after the fact. This is a particularly interesting aspect of the Odyssey, especially compared to the Iliad. This is Odysseus telling a story. And with that preface... Odysseus and his men land on the island of the Lotus Eaters. This time, they don't land with the intention of killing everyone, so that's kind of nice. Odysseus and his men land on the beach, and they keep to themselves for a while. They get some water, they make some food, they have a nice picnic, but eventually they do need to know who lives on the island and whether they might cause them trouble. They can't be alone on the island, surely, so they really do need to figure out who or what they might be dealing with. So scouts are sent out in search of the island's inhabitants. These scouts find the so-called Lotus Eaters. These people, they are indeed humans as far as we're told, are called Lotus Eaters for one very obvious reason. They eat lotus. And in their hospitality, upon meeting the scouts sent out by Odysseus, the Lotus Eaters offer the scouts some lotus, who happily take and eat some. Almost like magic, 
As soon as they've eaten the lotus, the men no longer have any desire to return home, just doesn't seem so important anymore. The scouts who have eaten the lotus lose all their will to leave the island. They no longer want to continue the journey, they just don't want to get home. They didn't miss their families or their lives at all, and they forget any reason they had to leave. Luckily, Odysseus realizes that something is wrong. His scouts have failed to return, and it's been far too long for their delay to be anything short of suspicious. Odysseus finds the scouts with the lotus eaters just laying about without a care in the world. The lotus eaters offer Odysseus some too, but he senses something off about these people and their offerings, and he turns them down. Instead, he takes hold of the scouts and drags them, kicking and screaming, back to the ship so they can all get the hell off that island. He prevents everyone else from encountering the Lotus Eaters, lest they eat some too and continue fucking shit up. But, well, that's it. The Lotus Eaters don't put up a fight, and Odysseus manages to get the rest of his crew on the ships, and they push off from the island. The journey continues. Feeling worn down and weary, they continue on. But the next place they reach is no better than the land of the Lotus Eaters. No, next they come upon the country of the Cyclops. Odysseus and his men know right away who inhabits this country. Our beautiful Emily Wilson translation refers to the Cyclops as mavericks who trust the gods. They don't plant food or tend to their farmland, yet everything still grows. They don't counsel with each other, and they don't have any common laws. They live in caves on mountaintops, and they have rules only for within their own families. They are wholly different from all the other people of the region. So Odysseus and his crew land on a small island one that overlooks the main cyclopic island. Here they hunt a bunch of goats, make themselves a nice meal, and relax for the evening. As they feast, they look out on the main cyclopic island. They can see fires burning and can hear sheep and goats baaing in the distance. And they sleep soundly, overlooking this other island. In the morning, though, Odysseus pulls a real Odysseus, and he decides he and a smaller group of men should travel across to the other island to find out about the people who live over there, the Cyclopic people. When Odysseus and his small crew of men land on the island, they quickly find a cave. In the cave lives herds of sheep and goats, with a nice courtyard overhung with lovely trees. It's an idyllic place. But in there lives not only this herd of sheep and goats, inside lives a man who keeps to himself. He lives alone in his cave, tending to these animals. And, well, he's a giant with only one eye. Once they've learned the inhabitant, Odysseus leaves behind a group of his men at the ships and returns only with himself and twelve others. They bring a gift for the giant in the cave, some wine that was given to Odysseus by a priest of Apollo. When they arrive at the cave, the giant, the Cyclops, isn't there. He's out tending to his flock, and so the men go inside and they take a look around. There they find cheese and a collection of lambs. Not sure why those are living inside, but there we have it. And the men... Oh, the men want some of the cheese and the lambs. Is the plural of lamb lambs, even when it's actual animals and not food? It's been so long since they've had anything so decadent as that. Immediately, the men propose to Odysseus that they grab the cheese and free the lambs and drive them down to the ship so they can make a quick getaway with these spoils. 
But Odysseus says no, he wants to stay to meet the Cyclops and see if they'll receive any gifts from him. This story is a lesson in hospitality, for good or bad. So they wait for the Cyclops to return to his cave, and while they wait, they sacrifice and they eat a lamb and snack on some cheese. Finally, the Cyclops returns. Afraid, Odysseus and his men cower in a corner, not announcing themselves to this Cyclops, even though they've been hiding out in his house all day. He returns with wood for a fire and some sheep and goats to milk, and once he's arrived back in his home, where he believes he's alone as usual, he puts an enormous boulder in front of the front entrance to the cave, effectively locking his front door. Finally, after milking his sheep and goats and doing some things with the milk that I won't try to relay or fully understand because I am not a farmer, I've mentioned this before, the Cyclops lights a fire. And when he does, he finally finally sees this group of men that's just been hiding out in his house like real fucking weirdos. He's shocked, unsurprisingly, and he asks Odysseus and his men what on earth they're doing there. How did they get there? Why are they here? Are they here for some trouble? Are they pirates? Odysseus explains their story, telling the Cyclops about Troy and their journey and how they ended up on this particular island. Odysseus finishes by asking the Cyclops for a gift, as he is their host and they are his guests, It's only appropriate for him to give them a gift. This is the only way to keep Zeus, the god who presides over the guest-host relationship, happy. Ah, a new and much more greedy twist on the relationship of Xenia we all know so well. I like to imagine Odysseus just holds out his hand expectantly at this point, like, well, I've just been hiding out in your home all day, what are you going to give me for being so weird? So, Odysseus has asked for a gift from the Cyclops, and, well, the Cyclops just laughs. He laughs and laughs before he simply looks at Odysseus and says, You think I care about Zeus? I couldn't care less about keeping the gods happy. We Cyclops are more powerful than the gods. We don't worship them. If I don't kill you now, it won't be because of Zeus, the Cyclops tells Odysseus and his men. It will be because I want to keep you alive, and not for any other reason. Are you continuing on in your ship? He asks them. Are you going far? Odysseus realizes something is a bit off with this line of questioning, so he lies. He tells the Cyclops that Poseidon had shipwrecked them on the island, and that they just only managed to survive. And, well, this tragic story doesn't sway the Cyclops at all, and his reaction to this is to grab two of Odysseus's men, lift them high in the air, and slam them into the floor of the cave, splattering their brains everywhere. Then he tears them to bits and eats them right there in front of Odysseus and the remaining men. Which is why Odysseus maybe should have kept to himself and not gone creeping into this dude's house, but whatever, who am I to judge? Once he's finished eating these men, and probably licking his fingers in that satisfying kind of way, he lays down and just goes to sleep. Odysseus and his other men realize that while they could sneak up and kill the Cyclops right now, that would only leave them in more trouble because there's no way they could ever move that boulder that's blocking the door. So instead, they just wait. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger 
they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the morning, the Cyclops wakes, does some chores, and then grabs another two dudes and eats them in the same disgusting and bloody way he had the other two the previous night. Then he puts his sheep out to pasture, and he goes about his day, always remembering to put the boulder back in place so his snacks can't escape. At this, Odysseus sets to scheming. He and the remaining men set to fashioning something that they can use to stab the Cyclops in his single eye. Using an olive wood club that the Cyclops has placed neatly in his cave, they make themselves a sharp, eye-poking device, and they assign the men who will use it to blind the Cyclops. When the Cyclops returns that evening and begins going about the same business he had the night before, milking the sheep, eating two more men, and so on, Odysseus puts his plan into action. He offers the Cyclops some wine, saying he'd brought it for him and that their ship has even more of this wine. Evidently, this doesn't register to the Cyclops that Odysseus has been lying about their shipwreck. Not really that it matters at this point. The Cyclops drinks the wine and... Boy, is he thrilled. 
fucking amazing wine, Odysseus. He wants more, and suddenly he doesn't want to eat Odysseus quite so badly. Instead, he asks him his name, so he can finally give him a guest present. Odysseus obliges, giving the Cyclops more and more wine, getting him more and more drunk. Finally, at the point of um, comfortably tipsy, Odysseus tells the Cyclops that he'll reveal his name, but only if the Cyclops gives him the gift he's just promised. His name, Odysseus tells the Cyclops, is no man, or nobody, which is the translation I've heard more often, and then one I'm going to use here. Odysseus tells the Cyclops that his name is Nobody. The Cyclops looks at Odysseus. Odysseus waits to hear what his gift will be. Finally, the Cyclops speaks. All right, I'll eat Nobody last, the Cyclops says. First I'll eat the rest of you. That's my gift, Nobody. And with that... The Cyclops flops down on the ground and, once again, goes right to sleep. This time, though, it's wine-induced, and during his sleep he managed to spit out some wine and also some body parts. What a host. But this is Odysseus's opportunity. As the Cyclops sleeps, the men put their spear into the fire to make it red-hot. And once it is, Odysseus grabs the stabbing device and drives it deep into the Cyclops's eye twisting and shoving deeply as blood spurts out from the wound and the red hot wood sizzles against the moisture of the cyclops's eye. The cyclops screams. He wakes to his eye sizzling and blood pouring out and completely unable to see. He shrieks and cries and calls out to the other cyclops that live nearby, yelling and screaming at them to help him fend off his attackers. The other Cyclops hear him, and before anyone knows it, they're outside the cave yelling to their friend inside. Polyphemus, they call out, giving us the Cyclops' name and one of my favorite names in all mythology. What's wrong, Polyphemus? Are you hurt? They ask. Is someone trying to steal your herds or trying to kill you? From inside the cave, Polyphemus replies, Nobody is trying to kill me. Nobody has stabbed me in the eye, he calls out. The other Cyclops are confused. Wait, they say. Nobody's trying to kill you? Zeus must have made you sick, they conclude. There's nothing to be done there. Just pray to your father Poseidon, they tell him. And with that, the other Cyclops leave Polyphemus in his cave, blinded and screaming about nobody. Pulling himself together, well, as much as you can when you're bleeding from your one and only eye, Polyphemus removes the boulder blocking the entrance to the cave so his animals can leave and go outside to graze. He sits by the entrance so he can block any person who tries to leave with his animals. So once again, Odysseus gets to scheming. He eventually comes up with a plan to get him and his remaining men out of the cave without Polyphemus realizing. There are some bigger, sturdier rams in the cave, and Odysseus gets rope. He ties three rams together, with one man tied underneath the middle animal. He does this with all his remaining men, before finding himself the biggest, sturdiest ram, under which he climbs and hangs on to its furry belly. Then, they wait 
and wait and wait until it's finally dawn and the animals are aching to go outside and Polyphemus is tired and sore and worn out. Then finally, the animals leave the cave with the blessing of Polyphemus, who checks them, but misses the men under the middle of the three rams. And then it's Odysseus's turn. When this ram makes his way towards the cave entrance, Polyphemus stops him, talks to his beloved animal. He asks him why he's the last to leave when usually he's one of the first. He complains about what nobody did to him and that he wishes the ram could speak so he could tell Polyphemus where nobody and the other men are hiding. But alas, this ram can't speak. So Polyphemus pats him on the back and the ram makes his way outside into the pasture. When all the men and all the sheep are outside and far enough from Polyphemus, Odysseus lets go of the ram and goes about freeing the other men. Then they steal the guy's sheep, which is pretty mean after they just blinded him, but whatever, I guess he ate a bunch of them too, so maybe they're even. They steal his sheep, and they make their way to the ship. When they've sailed far enough away that Polyphemus can't get to them, Odysseus calls out, taunting him. He yells to Polyphemus that the men he'd trapped were led by no dummy, that they'd outsmarted him, and that Polyphemus had it coming for eating his guests, which I mean is fair. Polyphemus hears Odysseus's taunts, and he gets even angrier than when he'd been blinded by a red-hot poker. Polyphemus grabs a boulder and throws it at Odysseus's ship. The boulder nearly hits them, grazing the prow of the ship and landing in the sea, causing the water to pull the ship back toward the land they'd just spent so much time escaping from. Odysseus yells to the men to row faster, and he grabs something and he pushes them off from the incoming land. They get away. They row strong enough and fast enough, and finally, they're offshore again. And then Odysseus taunts Polyphemus again. God damn it, Odysseus. Which is something I'm saying, but also his crew said it to him. I mean, what the fuck are you thinking, man? The crew yells at Odysseus to stop being such an idiot, but he's wily, cunning Odysseus, so he keeps taunting Polyphemus. This time, he's pretty blunt. Odysseus calls out to Polyphemus that if anyone asks him how he got a fucked up eye, tell him that Odysseus, son of Laertes, resident of Ithaca, did it. Literally everything anyone could possibly want to determine who this person is, and he yells it to a giant whose buddies had just disclosed that he was the son of the god Poseidon. Anyway, Poe buddies in our effect, and Odysseus can be a real dumbass. At this, Polyphemus cries out that the prophecy has come true, Apparently, he's known all along that a guy was going to come by and his name was going to be Odysseus and he was going to make him lose his sight. Goddamn Greek prophecies. He calls out to his father, Poseidon, asking him to ensure that Odysseus will never get home to Ithaca. That he'll never see his family again, or if he has to. Polyphemus asks that he have a really fucking tough time getting there. And when he does, let it be a fucking shit show when he arrives. Oh, nerds, thank you all for listening. Oh, how I love the Odyssey, especially now that we're getting to the really good stuff. And by the really good stuff, I mean the absolutely amazing number of monsters and weirdo people that appear in this story, let alone the magic and absolute mayhem we're getting closer to. Anyway, Odysseus is great, even when he's not, and the Odyssey is the best piece of literature ever written because it was the first, and how the fuck can something be so old and so incredible? 
your friendly reminder that it's believed that the Odyssey and the Iliad come from between 700 and 800 BCE. That's 2,800 years ago. That's a fucking long time for this incredible story to be written. Anyway, I love it. I'm passionate about this to say the absolute least. Just a reminder, as I mentioned last Odyssey episode, I will be taking two weeks off the podcast. Part of it will be in Mexico drinking all the margaritas in the world and writing things that are not the podcast for once. You know, books and stuff. Things you'll like. Then, before you know it, I'll be back in your beautiful ears on April 16th with the next installment of the Zodiac series. It's Aries season. Until then, maybe listen to some older episodes or read up on some of the stories you've already heard from me. Thank you all. You're the best. A reminder that any support you can give me is infinitely helpful because I do all this on my own. Research, write, record, edit. It's all me except my logo, because thank God I have friends who are good at graphic design. And honestly, this podcast requires a lot of books, and books are expensive. And I want to buy all of them so I can tell you guys incredible stories, but dear God, I can't afford all of them. So, you know, any help is great. The best way of supporting the show is by becoming a Patreon patron. This provides you with extra episodes. Unfortunately, not as many as I'd like, but honestly, keeping up with the weekly podcast is already all of my free time, so I do additional episodes for Patreon whenever physically possible. But regardless of that, you're helping me by becoming a patron anyway. Or if you're not able to provide monthly support, but you still want to chip in, which is totally great, you can donate via my website and through PayPal. That's mythsbaby.com and click on want to help and there you'll find links to both my Patreon and the ability to donate via PayPal. You're all a dream. I love you. I'm Liv. And I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.